Hello, Sobertown. Welcome to the Sobertown podcast. Let's jump on that sober train and ride right into the incredible, wonderful world of recovery. And this morning, we are really blessed to have a local gal that's been on Sobertown before, episode 90, Samantha Brantley. Good morning, Samantha. Good morning. And you and I didn't know each other. And we ended up meeting one another here, uh, a 5K, I think it was a 5K run, right? Yeah, super cool experience for me. Yeah, me too, because we went down there to see my son run. And then Jamie, my wife, went over to your booth, and that's when she met you. Yeah, I thought, no way, it could be the same people, but. Right, but, you know, I remember editing that podcast but I had never met you. And then here we are and we moved into your community that you yeah. you've grown up in. Yeah, that's cool. That's like a once in a lifetime thing. It is. It's like we were we were talking, what are the odds, right? To have yeah. somebody that was on Silver Town and then we move into their community and get to meet you. And you were running a recovery booth at that 5K. Yeah. So I on the off care board in our county which is the prevention coalition so they support a lot of recovery work in the community and then they go into schools and do prevention and so that's what i was doing that day was helping with their booth so let's get into your story and i want to kind of back up a little bit and i i heard something interesting in there that before you got into your addiction you were you were really involved with your family and your community. Tell us a little bit about that. I mean, I've always been a family-oriented person until addiction, of course. But, uh, I mean, I've done things like I had my, my first daughter really young. So I tried to just share that with people in school to help them. Uh, actually, <laughs> I actually ran for sports queen when I was in, I don't know, sixth grade or something. I guess I've always just wanted to to do things in the community. Then in 2005, you just started getting involved with drugs and alcohol. Is that how that evolved? Well, we experienced a house fire 2005. And we had three children. Two were in diapers. And it just shook us to our core. And we were building a new house and like working 24 seven because we were having to live with family and we just wanted to get this house together. The community, this small community, so loving and so kind and they all pitched in. But, you know, of course, we were trying to get all the all the things done. And somewhere along the way, we discovered that if we took a pain pill here or there, it gave us a little bit of energy as long as we were moving. And so we would stay up all day and all night trying to get this house done. and. And it it just spiraled from there for both of us. So that's how you started your addiction was with the opioids. Yeah, it was. And and that just, you know, spiraled out of control over the next few years. And and we got to where, you know, we we were both selfish and in addiction and and, you know, things went south and mine went really south before that. You were really close with your family and your community. Did the drugs start separating you from all of that? Yeah, 100%. They didn't shut me out. I shut them out. I was ashamed. I wasn't too ashamed to continue using, but I was too ashamed to be out present in my community or with my family. I just walked away from all of them. And then because you ended up going to jail and stuff, how did all that evolve? Gosh, over probably six or seven years, I was in and out of county jail. I couldn't tell you how many times. I caught some felony theft charges, which landed me in prison. So I think probably over those years, I probably had 15 or 20 county jail stays. And then I went to prison the first time and I spent seven and a half months. They done me where I come out on probation, like I'd done a set amount of time, they put me back out on probation and, and I would finish, you know, at home or whatever. 
as long as I abided by the rules. And of course I didn't. I had met my my husband that you're talking about that passed away by then and we were both in active addiction and he picked me up from that prison stay and we went to Florida. So I just walked out the doors and jumped state, which resulted in my second prison stay. We were in Florida and my mom, she didn't tell me how sick she was. I really didn't have a clue. And we were down there, of course, we were using and I get a call one day that my mom's passed away. And so it was a shock and I was so far gone in addiction that I didn't even come home for her funeral. And I used the excuse that uh, I broke my probation rules and they'll arrest me at her funeral. I can't go. So I let that eat me for a little while. And I finally came home and turned myself in. Now, when you were down in Florida, were you living on the streets down there? More or less. Yeah. Just a cycle of addiction to where, you know, your normal functioning kid, basically. And then you have a house fire, you start building a house and you get on these opioids and they just start taking you through there. Yep. Yeah. It's like I woke up one day, 10, 12 years later, and I'd lost a marriage, a home, kids, cars, and I was in prison. And and that still didn't shake me enough, you know? Yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty deep. So then during all this time, the community that we live in, there's not a lot of resources to help anybody get sober, is there? There's there wasn't any for me. There were some people that come in the jails and done assessments, but our little jail's so overrun, you know, and probation officers are overrun. And when I was in and out of there and going through addiction, the only options really were jail probation right back to what you knew jail probation right back to what you knew until you finally landed in prison or you know kind of got out of here and went to some resources so I think I said in the first podcast when I went to treatment I had to go four and a half hours from here to treatment wow that's that's crazy four and a half hours and how often did you have to go to treatment driving like that well I went twice and done inpatient two different times. So I rode a Greyhound bus to the treatment center and was there for 30 days and and then came back to what I knew because I didn't realize there were, you know, options or, or resources. And they weren't really close to me. I didn't have a driver's license. I'd lost that during my addiction. My family worked and I had, you know, pushed them out and my kids weren't grown enough to drive around yet or really even want to help me because I hadn't proved myself. So I went back to what I knew. So what were the final like things that drove you to want to get sober? Losing my mom was a big thing. She was an alcoholic most of my life. And by the time she got sober, I was in full-blown addiction. And I was in, <laughs> it's, I tell clients about it at work all the time. They're like, I don't like these groups. I don't want to go to groups. And So I was in my second treatment center and I was in this group and there was this girl, I don't even remember her name. And she started talking and I was like a lot of our clients. I don't want to be in this group. This shit's not for me. And she started talking. And when she started talking, she was talking about her and her mom had this horrible relationship and how when she got into addiction, she started to understand her mom's addiction And it made her curious. She wanted to learn about what her mom had been through and why she was an addict and, you know, all these things. And she she was talking about, I can't hate my mom anymore because she's an addict, too. And I'll never forget those words. They hit so hard with me because I was like, oh, my God, I can't hate my mom. My mom's an addict, too. And she had had to be through some stuff to have to be an alcoholic. And so my mom got sober and I came home from treatment to live with her and and we built this great relationship. And, you know, I, I was still not in the mindset to be done with addiction. And so she knew what it was like to be in that. And she would feed me. She would clothe me. She would, you know, let me sleep it off, but she wouldn't enable me. <laughs> she would buy me a pack of cigarettes, put my hand. She wouldn't give me money. She would you know, not put gas in a vehicle. She 
she wouldn't enable me at all because she knew she knew the game. And so I got three years of her being sober and, and trying to shape me a little bit. And when she passed away, that got my attention and got my wheels turning. And then I came home and I went back to prison after she died. And I don't know, man, it was God. Whenever I was high when I went to jail that evening and I woke up the next morning and I was like, I have to, something has to give. I want to make her proud for one. I want to make my kids proud. I just want to do something different. So literally that night in the jail cell, I cried so hard I couldn't breathe. Just praying, 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 praying. And when I woke up the next morning, it was like somebody had lifted 500 pounds off of me. I never had withdrawal symptoms and I should have been sick. I wasn't mad. I just felt peace. I just felt peace. And so, of course, that was in county jail here. And I, I had to go back to prison and flatten my sentence. And, and over that prison stay, uh, I didn't use. I could have. I didn't. I chose my people wisely that were in there. This, this lady that had life introduced me to the Life Recovery Bible. And, and I got in that thing every day, every day, every day. And so I went back, I think, in August. August, maybe June, I'm not sure. Anyway, I went back to jail in 2018 and January of 2019, my oldest daughter had my first granddaughter stillborn. And I had started, you know, trying to rebuild the relationship with my kids a little bit. And I called home one day and she was at the hospital. She was pregnant when I went to jail and I thought I was going to come home to her and my first granddaughter and and rebuild this relationship and be the best <laughs> Grammy ever. And so I called home that day and she was giving birth to a stillborn baby. And I couldn't be there to hold my baby because she had lost hers. And you're locked up in prison, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that tore me to my core. So that was in January, back up to October, the October before this January. My husband that passed that you were asking about was still in active addiction when I went to prison. And I called home on October 30th, and he's in ICU on life support. He had gotten endocarditis from IV drug use, and he was not expected to make it. He had had a heart attack, and, and they had had to, to do a bunch of things to try to get him stable and responsive they worked on him for like 17 minutes he would lose his heartbeat and then they'd get it back he'd lose it they'd get it back so all this happened while I'm in prison I can't do anything about it <laughs> can't do anything that's powerlessness right there isn't it yeah <laughs> so now I know God set me there and as tragic as these things were he put them in motion and he shook me to my core and uh, let's talk about endocarditis where that happens from using needles and stuff. What, an infection that gets in the heart? Is that what happens? Yeah, it's an infection like in the line and around your heart. It attacks your heart valves. So if you look at endocarditis on an ultrasound or an x-ray, it literally looks like little pieces of cauliflower stuck to your heart valves. And so they don't open and close properly. You're in prison and you're powerless. Yeah. Yeah, my only lifeline I felt like was that life recovery Bible. And I would go to it every day and I would just pray and pray and pray. So from October to January, you know, every time I called home, I was scared to death. They were going to tell me Derek was dead, that he hadn't survived. But over this time, he left the hospital not once but twice. Like they would get him well enough. You know, addiction is a beast and it's insanity. And, and he would walk out of the hospital. And then you'd have to be taken back by ambulance. And then, you know, they done op emergency open heart surgery and replaced his heart valves. And, and they got him on massive doses of antibiotics. I guess the second or third time when they, when they done the emergency open heart surgery is when he was like, you know, oh, crap, <laughs> this is going to kill me. 
And so I, every time I would call home, I was like, not knowing, not knowing, not knowing. And so he spent like three months in the hospital after that open heart surgery. So that happened October 30th initially with him. January 24th, um, my oldest daughter had the grandbaby stillborn. And his emergency open heart surgery happened around 3 a.m. on January 25th. I was in there till March, maybe April. And so. 2019. Yeah. Yeah. So God, God worked on all of us. All this stuff was going on. When you get out of prison, what's your mindset like? I, I wanted to be there for my family no matter what. And I didn't want to die. <laughs> I didn't want my family to bury me in active addiction. And so, you know, I'd already had this awakening in county jail and I had no cravings. I had no withdrawals. I had no desire to use. I just wanted to come home and do something different. And so my oldest daughter and Derek picked me up from prison that day and I haven't looked back. So you were actually building your mindset while you were in prison during that whole time of how you wanted to change your life and thinking about things that you wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually where I learned that I could come I could come home and be sober for and clean for two years, and then I could apply for my certified peer recovery specialist certification through the state of Tennessee. So that was my first, you know, long-term goal was be clean two years, get the certification. And you did that. In fact, September 2021, when you were on the other podcast, you were talking about, the, I think you were studying for it at that time. Yeah. I had, I think I had completed my, my classwork and I was looking for somewhere to do like a 75 hour internship, so to speak. You have to have 75 hands-on hours. And at the same time, you were cleaning up other things in your life, like getting your license back. Yeah. Uh, refresh <laughs> us on that because that was another little miracle, right? Because these are people that you grew up with and they're seeing that you're changing your life, right? Yeah. So I was I got a job at the little convenience store, you know, making very little money, but it was a start. And so I was slowly trying to pay back what I owed restitution for my driver's license, just trying to make things right, trying to make the amends. And working in that little store in this town, you know, everybody come in and they seen me and I got to talk to them and they got to see I had some light in my eyes and some color in my face and and so uh, I worked there for probably a year and a half. And the guy that I had actually, I had wrote bad checks to his store, which is where the theft and forgery come in. And and he was talking to me and he, he stopped by one day and he was like, I forgot my wallet at home. I need some gas. Can I get it and stop back and pay you for it? Of course, you know, I, I'll, I'll cover it or whatever. So he done that. He got, I don't know, five, ten dollars worth of gas. And the next day he came back to the store and he tried to pay me for it. And I was like, you know what? I I owe you money. Uh, I got this. Let me pay for it. And he was like, absolutely not. You don't owe me anything. I'm just proud of you. And so I was like, well, Union County says I owe you X amount of money and I want to do this. Just let me cover it. It's not a big deal. He was like, OK, I got you. So the next week, this man that I had written over $500 in bad checks to his store comes in and hands me a piece of paper. And he's went to the courthouse and he's told them that I paid him every dime I owed him. So they take that off my, my balance. Oh, wow. How cool is that, right? That is so yeah. badass. And so, you know, that brought my balance down. I went to start seeing what I had to do to get my license back. Well, I had to pay this restitution off and I had like a thousand dollars in court costs and fees. And there was a lot of stuff that I had to pay. But the judge I had been in front of so many times for misdemeanor things and a couple ladies in the county clerk's office that that knew I was fighting with everything in me to do better. And I had been by this time for like two, two and a half years. They go to this judge and, and explain to him, you know, what I've been doing. 
how good I've been doing, how I've been trying to help a few other people. And he forgives the whole thousand dollars. So now all I have to pay to get my driver's license back is 340 something dollars to the state. And you got it back that, was it that day? Within two weeks, I was able to do it. They they helped me a lot and cut me some huge breaks that they didn't have to. Somewhere right in this timeline was when you lost your husband, right? I lost him last year. Oh, it was last year is when yeah, you lost him. It was last August. At this time, you know, he's clean. I'm clean. He's sober. We've got our own place for a change. Like we moved back to Sharps Chapel and my family rented us a house and, and we're doing good at this time. Then around September of 2021, you do this interview with Bill W. and Kira, and you you were talking about all these different things that you want to do, and you were talking about that you had just finished your testing for recovery coach. Is that what it is? Yeah. Peer recovery peer yeah. specialist? <laughs> peer recovery specialist. Peer recovery specialist, yeah. And then... From that timeline to right now, all of these things that you were talking to them about that you wanted to do, you've been doing. When I talked to them, I wanted to to get my certification and work in a treatment center. I wanted to, you know, reach out in my community and and maybe get to work going in the jails and talking to some of the people or working with probation or getting a meeting here. There was none of that stuff. Churches go in the jail, but there was no like recovery, recovery stuff from people that had actually been through it. So I wanted to do all these things. And I had started reaching out to people to try to get the ball rolling. Late 2021, December 2021, I got my first job at a treatment center working third shift. Done that for a couple of months. And then found out that there was opening where I'm working at now at Knoxville Recovery Center. So I went there, I applied, I got the job. I started out there as a third shift tech at night. And so over the last almost two years, I've worked my way up there and, and I'm now operations manager at Knoxville Recovery Center. So wow, went, huge congratulations to you. I went through all the ropes and, and worked my butt off and and now I get to help run a treatment center. I mean, I don't do it single-handedly by any means, but I get to play a huge part in helping lots of people find recovery and, and learn the ropes of how treatment centers work. And it's been a really cool experience. And I started right after that interview, probably first couple months of 2022, I started paying out of pocket and renting the senior center over here to have meetings once a month that's the only it was only available once a month so I was doing these recovery meetings you know trying to get people to come beating my head against a wall because the county you know it other people ran it it was only available random Saturdays once a month and so I done that for a couple of months and then I just kind of threw my hands up and I quit for a while because people weren't showing up I couldn't afford it there was all these things. And that was here in Union County where we yeah. live that there's nothing here, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I actually ran into a, a guy I grew up with was a, a police officer and, and he used to arrest me and take me to jail. He was just doing his job and, and he didn't want me to die, <laughs> but I went to elementary school with him. Like he, he knew everything I'd been through and he was running for county commissioner and Another gentleman that's friends with my dad in the county was running for county commissioner. And and they sat down and talked to me and they listened to my frustrations. They listened to what I needed. They uh, fought tooth and nail to help me. And that opened up me getting the senior center, you know, once a week if I needed it. And so I picked the meetings back up. And they done really good for a while, but over here in Sharps Chapel of Union County is like the teeniest dot on a map <laughs> and there's so much stigma and uh, people kind of just want to turn a blind eye 
to addiction. And so I've had a hard time getting people out, you know, to a meeting here or, or they don't have their license or they're scared, you know, somebody's going to find out. There's a lot of, of stigma here still. And people just don't understand. They're not educated. Uh, it's not that they're bad people. They just don't understand the science behind it, the insanity of it. A lot of people here still just think it's a choice. And so I've been trying to to be completely open and honest and raw. And, and I, I share any bit of my life that anybody wants to know because that's my way of educating people. And so now, over these last year and a half, two years, a church in Maynardville, which is, you know, 20 minutes from my home, but but progress lets us have a weekly meeting there that's growing probation or counting my meeting as as a meet a recovery meeting that they'll take probation participants so they can send people to this meeting and I can sign their paper and they can take it back to their probation officer and they're like okay we'll accept that so up until this point if if somebody's on probation and they require them to go to meetings People would have to go all the way, what, into halls or Knoxville for a meeting? Yep. Or there were some in Tazewell. Either way, if they're in the heart of Union County, they would have to go 30 to 45 minutes either direction to a meeting. Yeah, because there's just, there was nothing here when you started. Yeah. There's a couple of ladies at a different church that do some Celebrate Recovery. It's really interesting. You get sober, you start working in a rehab. And now you're doing, is it recovery court? So that's up and coming. We're hoping to get it off the ground in January. But yeah, it'll be a misdemeanor recovery court. So our goal is to provide resources and education and structure to people in misdemeanor court that get misdemeanor charges and try to curve them from going further into addiction or criminal charges and i i'll get to be recovery court coordinator on that with uh, a lot of our county officials and actually the judge on this who wanted to get this off the ground was my public defender way back in the day (laughs) is it that crazy the judge your public (laughs) defender i love that and then just the whole evolution of this and then you know your the community seeing you samantha because your change is is so big that people are rallying behind you yeah that's cool all my all my dreams and aspirations that i talked about in that first podcast are are either reality now or will be very soon so it's time to set some bigger goals (laughs) but yeah yeah everything's kind of like come to pass well, you're Most such part. an inspiration, Samantha, because look where you come from. Jails and prisons, the addiction took you into those places. And then you had that moment in county jail, go back to prison that last time and get out. And it's taken a while. So you got out March of 2019, right? Yeah. So really in the grand scheme of things, it's only been around what, like five, five and a half years, and you've accomplished so much in that time. Yeah, and yeah. you're helping a lot of people. You're finding them beds. You're getting getting them resources. You do these these meetings faithfully every every week. Yep, God's grace, man. God's grace. Yeah, I think what you guys are doing is really amazing, and and I've really been honored to run into you and meet you and i was like wow this is so cool and we got to share more of samantha as all this evolves because people can do what you're doing yeah it hasn't been easy i mean i've i've thought about giving up so many times but then i'm reminded that i prayed for god to use me and that's exactly what he's doing but i i've beat my head against a brick wall a couple times it's been really hard it's been I'm not going to lie, it's been really hard to stay clean some days over the last two years. Not that I not that I want to use or I have cravings, but that 
just that would be the easy way out. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Like losing your husband, right? You get clean and sober and then you lose your husband. Yeah. So he done really well for a while, but I struggled with that really bad. He done good for a couple of years. He wasn't using any kind of drugs. He was drinking alcohol and then he quit drinking alcohol and his heart was doing well. His heart function went up after this open heart surgery. And I thought life was going to be really good and we were going to be clean and we were going to change the world. And he relapsed on alcohol. So, I mean, this was a man I'd been with for 13 years and we had come out of all this tragedy and out of addiction and, and he was just throwing it away. And in my mind, I felt like he was kind of spitting in God's face. God had spared his life and, and you're going to go right back down that road. Like, how dare you? And so... I, I divorced him. I divorced him in July of last year, not because I wanted to, but because I thought that would shake him enough to, to sober him back up. And I thought it would protect me and, and I wouldn't be in, in such a strained spot in my life that I would ever want to go back backwards. And I was doing all these good things to do better in my life, get my license back, get my peer recovery certification. You know, my, my youngest daughter's lived with me for the last four years and I never thought she'd even speak to me again. And my oldest daughter's had another grandbaby and, and that's my meetings and my, my organization someday will be shallow recovery because shallow is the, the second chance and shallow comes from the Bible. And, and so I had this, this idea that life was just going to be good and, and perfect and we would never go back to that. So I separated from him, divorced him. Our divorce was final in July. I've heard through the grapevines that he, he relapsed on IV drugs one time and he landed back in the hospital. And so he had endocarditis back. His heart was going downhill. He had another open heart surgery in August of last year and everything went really well but when they went to restart his heart after the surgery his heart wouldn't restart and so I had a lot of of guilt and shame around that and you know what if I hadn't divorced him what if I would have just kept him close to home and maybe I could have saved him that's not reality I know but I'm human <laughs> and so I I called him the night before his surgery and we got to have a really good conversation. And he told me he always loved me and he wasn't mad at me and he understood. And we had a really good conversation. <laughs> and he went into surgery at six o'clock the next morning and didn't wake up after. Uh, so, you know, I went to the hospital and, and I stayed by his side. And I won't go into all the details, but, you know, after a surgery like that, you're on machines, they don't close you up. They, you know, they got to be ready to save your life again if something happens. And that was, that was very traumatic. But I got to spend some time with him and, and I got to have that good conversation with him. And, and I believe that was all God's work to give me closure because he probably knew more than I did that I would spiral out of control after that. So I got some closure and, and it, that stuff went on for a week, drifter. They had him on this ECMO machine at UT Hospital in Knoxville. And, you know, we met with these doctors to get him on a transplant list. And they transferred him to Nashville to get him the best specialist and give him the best fighting chance. And and I went up there and I held his hand and stayed with him. And there was just nothing that, that, that they could do after a week. Like his body had started having clots. And, and we just... The only option was to unplug him. There was nothing else they could do. Yeah, that's all That's all very traumatic. But you ended up getting through all of that sober. Yeah. I had built a great support system. And my fate, my fate. I was able, you know, to reach out to people. I had people reach out to me even when I wanted to shut down. Chris and I had just run into each other again and and a lot of people didn't agree with, you know, me just being divorced and just losing my husband and talking to this man. But this man will still to this day sit in the middle of the kitchen floor with me and let me cry if I need to. 
and my kids and, and they supported me like no other <laughs> and that's the only thing that got me through it sober was was my support system so I pound that into people it's embarrassing to reach out and say I don't know what to do it's shameful to be so broken that you have to reach out or you know risk losing your life to addiction because that's where we turn to a lot of times I drill in them call somebody even if it's a helpline call somebody because if I hadn't have had that I probably wouldn't be sitting here talking today yeah and you have built an amazing support system and Chris is amazing too meeting both of you has just been a huge moment for both me and my wife maintaining recovery through tragedy has been the most rewarding thing for me. Learning to lean on people and and honesty. I don't really know. <laughs> I don't know where I'd be without my support system. It's hard to explain. It's been a whirlwind. But yeah, I mean. I, I'm blessed. I've been able to see some of the pictures on Facebook of you and your family. You guys are really rural way out there in Sharps Chapel and the pictures of you guys together. And it just seems like everybody's glowing. It is just the opposite of addiction, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I, I've worked so hard and God's blessed me so much. So Derek and I had a little boy back in 2016 and we were both still in active addiction. And so I was actually in jail when I had him and you know, I had to leave him in the hospital and go back to jail. And at some point I decided while still in active addiction that this kid deserved so much better than us. He deserved a clean family that was going to give him anything he wanted and love him all over. So we quit fighting and we just, we let the family that had had him from the hospital adopt him. And so, you know, all these years went by that... We didn't, we didn't really know where he was. We, we had come to terms with, you know, when he got old enough, if he wanted to find us, he would, but, but we knew he had a good life. We knew he was with a good family. And, and so long story short, when Derek passed away, I had already been building a relationship with his adoptive mom and I would meet her for lunch, you know, and, and Gage wouldn't be there, but I was building this bond with her. I would text her every day and and we would talk about things and she would send me pictures. And and so I had made peace with if for the rest of my life, I only talked to this woman and met with her. I was fine with that because she was sharing my son with me, even if through pictures. So I, I was fine with that. And so when Derek passed away, something changed. God touched some hearts and she's always been very supportive. But I got to start seeing him more. And over the last three or four months, that's grown into they'll pull him in my driveway and let him get out and stay for a couple hours. How cool is that? So oh, even my gosh. That damn tragedy. I've got this beautiful little boy that I thought I would never see. <laughs> and they're willing to share him some with me. And so that just drives me that much harder. And then I'll have little Shiloh. <laughs> you know, I didn't get to be there when, when Rollin was born, and I didn't get to be there for Peyton, but I got to watch Shiloh come into the world because recovery gave me that. And I get to be the best, <laughs> the best Grammy to her that I know how to be and the best mom that I know how to be. And so, yeah, we are all glowing. <laughs> yeah, you literally are. What an amazing story that these are gifts of sobriety yeah i mean it's literally from death to life isn't yeah. it yeah literally and none of this happened overnight did it no no this has been uh, all this has been playing out for for five years it's taken five years <laughs> yeah so anybody out there don't just expect quick results you know it takes a lot of work like the other night when I came into town, I just got off work and I just got into town and I stopped over there to get 
a, a blue book from you guys. You guys were tired. You'd worked all day and you were showing up for the meeting for everybody. I was burnt. I was like, I got to go home and get some rest. <laughs> yeah. But um, you guys were there for the people that were showing up, even though you were exhausted. Yeah, because I swore if I ever got in a position to be there for people, I would be there for them to the best of my ability. Because when I was going through all that, I was so hopeless in addiction. You know, there was there was not a lot of recovery efforts here. And and I thought, you know, I'm, I'm going to have to either move away from home to a city somewhere that has a lot of recovery stuff or, you know, I'm just going to be in this cycle for the rest of my life. At one point, probably midway through my addiction, me and this girl, I was in jail, me and this girl were talking and and we literally made a pact that we would die in addiction because there was no other way out. So we were, we were that hopeless. So I swore that I would show hope if I ever got to a point where I could. I'm tired and I decide to come home and somebody shows up at that meeting and they're in that hopeless place. Then I'm not doing what I promised myself I would. And you have an old running and gunning friend that's doing a lot of this right beside you, huh? <laughs> Kelly. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I, yeah. Kelly, I just saw today. Yeah. She's going to get a, put a book out next year, right? Yeah. So it'll actually be her second book. And that's a cool story, too, that I wanted to share with you, if we have time. Yeah, we have as much time. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> Kelly. So I met her in jail, and we didn't get off on the right foot. And we kind of built a bond after a little while. We we ended up in the same prison and and all that. And, and she's got one hell of a story, too. But... You know, we got done with our prison. She was kind of like me. She got done with prison. She wanted to come home and do something different. Her community didn't have anything either. She's in Claiborne County. And so I come home and, and I have all this stuff in my mind that I want to do. And I'm waiting on this two years to pass so I can get my peer recovery certification. And, and my sister sends me this newspaper article and it's Kelly. And she's interviewed about how she's, doing a clothes closet and she's created this little safe place for addicts to come and shower or eat or get clothes or she was providing business casual attire for people to go to job interviews or probation and giving out hygiene and and she was doing all these things and I was like that's what I want to do that's what I want to do and so I got in contact with her and I made amends with her and I apologized for anything I had done to hurt her when we were in jail and we've grown this sisterhood over the last four years that's unbreakable. She was my literal inspiration for the things that I'm doing. I mean, I had an idea, but she she showed me what I wanted to do, not even really knowing it. <laughs> and so I went to her house and I took her some clothes. She gave me some hygiene things and we started talking every day and and she's cheered me on the whole way, literally, since day one that I contacted her. She's cheered me on, and, and we've partnered together on a lot of stuff. So our banner for Shallow Recovery says Shallow Recovery slash gloss. So the gloss is her part because she will forever be my partner, whether she's hands-on or not. She does like all the flyers and she helps me get people into treatment and, and she does countless hours behind the scenes. And so the gloss is her original little thing that she started. And it stands for girls loving ourselves, seriously sober. She's an amazing person and, and her heart is just like mine. And it's, it's helped because, you know, we're from two different backgrounds from two different races and, different tragic stories and we've come together in probably two of the counties that have the most stigma in East Tennessee <laughs> and and we've built this thing together. And which county is she out of? She's in Claiborne so that's north of us. Is that up towards Tazewell Rocky Top yeah. area? Yeah she's Tazewell 
So literally you two are bringing resources. Well, they probably have more resources up there than they have they, down here in Union County though, right? Yeah, they do. But still, they, she's right there on the front lines helping people. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. She actually is working with me at the recovery center now. It's her first job. I'm super proud of her. So, yeah, God put me in a position with this treatment center to meet a lot of good people and to find my purpose in life and make a living doing it. And I'm able to give people a job that want to do the same. And then you're not only doing that 40 hours or however many hours a week at your job, but then you're doing all these other hours of your own time here in Union County. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. That's amazing. So you had all these visions of where you wanted to go in the last podcast with Billy and Kira. So this podcast, what are your visions for the future? I can't honestly answer that because it's been such a whirlwind of all this stuff happening. But if I on the fly had to say what was on my heart, uh, I want to, I want this recovery court to grow so big and people get so much help and have so many resources in this county. I want to maybe someday have a sober living house here to where people have somewhere to go if they come out of jail and they go through this recovery court that we're not having to send them to another county to house them. And they can integrate back into their own community in healthy ways. Wow, that sounds pretty cool to run some yeah. sober housing out of Union County. Because right now there really is none. No, no. And it's a good idea to remove people from their normal, you know, places and things and old habits for a time. But then, you know, it's it's very good to integrate and very rewarding to come integrate back into a community that you wreaked havoc on and do some good. Well, the cool thing, like with you, is you've been able to come back into your community. People have seen the change of the master's hand with you right yeah <laughs> literally and then they've been able to start supporting you with you getting your driver's license back and having a place to have the meetings and the list just goes on and on that's the cool thing that you're giving back to the community that you grew up in yeah i love this community it's the people here are, there's no comparison for them they'll wave at you on the road whether they know you or not they'll take time off of work or come after work when they're dog tired and help you rebuild a house because yours is burned or, you know, come and support you any way they can. It's, it's so loving and caring and neighborly. And, and it breaks my heart that, that they don't really understand addiction. And, and I, I'm grateful to be able to start to, to show that people can come through it and and even bring this community together more by helping them learn and understand and physically see that people can change and and just because we make bad choices doesn't make us bad people and and that it's okay to love somebody in addiction and it's okay to support them when they come out yeah you know and then us partnering with you maybe we can just help bring more awareness in this community to to addiction yeah it's making huge strides right now huge strides in this community and i absolutely love love that i was filling up my boat with gas up there at the shell on the 33 and and there was a old guy and i could i could tell he had a hard night he came up to talk to me so i i told him yeah i i help people get sober and he's like Oh yeah, them drug addicts, you know, they have a hard time. He says, but I only drink, you know, and you can yeah. tell it, the alcohol was just kicking his ass, but that's a lot of the mentality around here that alcohol is okay as long as you're not doing the other shit. Yeah. Yeah. And then people are that are doing the other shit are like, they shut themselves off. I'm sure out of shame and guilt and fear, disappointing people, because this is such a loving community in a sense. Like a lot like me, I just shut myself off because I knew 
my community had been there for me so much that I was letting them down. And then they don't know, they it's not their fault. They don't know how to help. They don't know what's enabling and what's not. A lot of people probably don't even understand what enabling is. So, well, it sounds like your mom got it, though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah she did. Um, and then, you know, a lot of people in their addiction, since there's not a lot going on around here, they don't have an idea how to get out of it. Yeah, and, I had no idea. I didn't know what Al-Anon was. I didn't know what NA was. I didn't know what the 12 steps were. I'd never heard of AA. I had no idea until I was in prison and they had people come in and speak and they had NA and AA meetings. And, and that's how I learned about a lot of the, the things that were there for people in recovery was being in prison because, you know, you didn't hear about those things here. And now, Samantha, you're like this lighthouse up on the hill, a shining light to all those fighting their way out of addiction. I hope so. I hope so. But I, I can't take the credit for that. I'm only doing what God has guided me to do. And and without God as my higher power, I couldn't do any of it because it's hard. <laughs> Amen. It really is. It really is difficult. Samantha, thank you so much for coming on here and sharing again. And then if anybody wants to listen to your first podcast, that's episode 90 on the Sobertown podcast. You're like old school Sobertown. And I didn't yeah. even know you. <laughs> yeah, this is cool. Thank you for what you all are doing. And and you all are are doing the, the same hard work and being the same inspiration. You're just doing it on a different format, which is cool as hell to me because you're reaching people all around the world. I'm focused on my little community where my heart lies and, and you're taking on the world, you and your team. So I appreciate y'all. Well, we're all just doing our part, you know, and I just see a world out there that doesn't have the resources. So maybe if we can bring resources under one umbrella, people are able to find something because literally with people carrying their phones around, they have an opportunity for a meeting 24 seven. Yeah. So if things are really bad, they can open up their phone and, and get some support. That's kind of how I see it. But yeah, we, need, I, we need boots on the ground like you, too. Yeah, it takes all. It takes a village. <laughs> That's one of our clinicians at work says that it takes a village. And he's absolutely right. Yeah, it definitely does. Samantha, tons of love to you. Tons of love to your family. And thank you so much. Thank you. Have an amazing day. You too.